What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Rich Redmond. Rich has been the touring and recording drummer with multi-platinum country rocker Jason Aldean for nearly two decades. He has recorded 31 number one radio hits and plays to millions of fans per year in iconic venues across the globe. Rich has worked with artists such as, and I'm going to rattle these off quickly, Kelly Clarkson, Carrie Underwood, Ludacris, Brian Adams, Bob Seger, Chris Cornell, Miranda Lambert, Eric Church, Keith Urban, Luke Bryan, and many more. Rich is also a busy educator, speaker, author, and actor. You can check out all of his richenings at richredman.com. But before that, I hope you enjoy the five, actually six records that helped shape Rich Redman into the player he is today. Cheers. Saturday night in a riverbank, a silver bullet's popping, got my speakers rocking, a feel-good song that'll take you back, watching them pretty girls work that, a baby shake it just right, I could do this all night, out here way back, working all night late. So we have started the show now. Yeah, well, yes, it's, it's what, official. What was your specific plan of attack when making these? Was it stressful? Did it take a long time? Go ahead. Well, you know, when, when someone gives you that kind of assignment, you're like, oh, my God, I love so much music. So is it, are you a rock guy and you pick five rock things? Or are you a punk guy? You've, you know, and and I just felt guilty almost that there wasn't any, like, heady, like, deep, odd time or, like, bebop things on there. It was just, like, drawing from kind of what influenced me as a kid that was born in 1970 and it kind of came up in the early 80s with MTV. I mean, this was, people look back now and they go, what? It's like, it was revolutionary. And I think a lot of us that lived through it, we, we would sit around with our Dennis DeLucia marching sticks because we were in marching band at the time where we go like, that's the deal. How do I get on the stage and get my Simmons kit? And what do I got to do to my hair? We were watching MTV all day, every day. And it was like a, it was like a convergence of like new wave and metal. You know, and then so everybody had these videos and we would just sit in front of the TV and just fantasize about this thing. So these are these are tracks that just spoke to me early on and i throughout my career i just keep coming back to like if these songs are on it's almost like ridley scott's alien i'm gonna watch the thing all the way through no matter where it's at happy on is another great movie where or jaws you know it's like i'm gonna watch that movie front to back and i'm gonna get something from it every time that i can glean i could steal i can incorporate in you know into my playing that's kind of did with these tracks you know well let's just hop into number one the album is wine light the artist is Grover Washington Jr. The release year is 1980. And yeah. you said the, a key track, but again, everyone listen to the whole damn record. It's just the two of us. I'm sure some people know this song. And on the album, Steve Gadd, Ralph McDonald, who you said Ralph was also a writer 
So yeah, take it away, and then we'll listen to the song after you tell people why you love it. Yeah, well, this is this is pre-MTV, but I remember, like, I'm a kid from Connecticut, and in 1980, we moved to El Paso, Texas, total culture shock. And this song would be on the radio, like, four times when my mom was driving me to school. And, and it was just like, it was before I was really super serious about the drums, but... I don't know. I just remember hearing it every day and being attracted to that thing. And then as I started to educate myself and learn more about the drums and learn about who Steve Gadd was, you listen to that kick. That kick is like a it's almost like a metal kick. It's like so like upfront in the mix. And it's the heartbeat of the song, literally. And Steve's got that fat back, you know, the superphonic tuned all the way down. And it's less is more. I mean, the way his fills the attention to detail with the groove, the way he sets up figures, and then Ralph McDonald's percussion on top of that. Just that's how you play the drums in the studio. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's just hear a little bit of uh, Just the Two of Us. the snare is like whoa just the two of us we can make it if we try sensibility you can make any kind of track like that come to life and there's a million different versions of that song there's tons of radio edits and there's one this one in particular that you have that i sent you has a steel pan solo from robert greenridge who is the steel pan player in um, jimmy buffett's band for like i don't know 30 or 40 years he's been wow. around doing it forever yeah, it's a good gig for a steel pan player <laughs> yeah. um but there's also a version where going into the third chorus ralph mcdonald adds all of his uh, go-go bells and cowbells and glasses he always had they said that they always had he would always carry what they call like a doctor bag so he was i guess he was a new york cat and he would always have his doctor bag and then the doctor bag would be shaker a fouché some maracas a little set of bongos some claves so he was like always a tambourine always ready to go overdub something for someone he was extra smart in the fact that he wrote the song i think the song has been recorded like 80 times so whoever whoever has his um estate is just like you know just wiping their butt with $100 bills. <laughs> what? How old were you when you did start playing drums? Well, the year was 1976, um, <laughs> six years old. Um, so six, seven, and eight, because I have my syncopation book and my stick control book that has 
lessons on it uh, from assignments from my teacher, original teacher, Jack Berge, and it said in like 1976, 1977. So I think it was like Phantoms Comes Alive, you know, Kiss, uh, you know, Columbia Tape and Record Club, you know, that whole thing. And my teacher was like, this kid, you know, he told my parents, you know, he's way ahead of the curve. Like he should really do this. But I was so young. I wanted to play with my Star Wars figures and do all that stuff. So then when I moved to El Paso and I joined the fifth grade band, I was way ahead because I had already I already knew how to hold the sticks and the rudiments, five stroke rolls and all that kind of stuff. So then you start learning how to get a great bass drum tone and you learn your scales on the glockenspiel and all that kind of stuff. So fun. Did you do the school band thing? The, the oh, yeah. This? Pet band. And I, I'm, I'm from a school of a th- uh, like the actual town was a thousand people. So my graduating class was like 70 people. So I was lucky enough that I was like the drummer. So I was like the dude that always played the drum set during pep band in front of the football team. And yeah. and I, I've said this on the podcast before that I've had friends who were way better at drums than me, but they're from these huge schools and there was so much competition that they're like, I'm just going to work on, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. try and be a drummer because they oh, didn't Mac. have the way. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have the way to like be the guy. And so yeah. I was I was lucky. But yeah, I was a dude band geek through and through. Oh, that's great to hear, man. It's, 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 you know, we come out the other side. And so you're from a city of a thousand people, mm-hmm. and now you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. It's, uh, yeah, it was baby steps, but uh, I like being around people. You know, like, I don't, I don't think I'm a good <laughs> live on the prairie kind of guy. But, <laughs> well, I was going to ask, so you said you started playing at six, and this song spoke to you when you were going to school. Did you feel like you've always had that studio mentality as a drummer? Because I would say a lot of younger players would listen to this and be like, this is boring. I want to listen to fast punk rock or whatever. But you were attracted to studio drumming at a young age. Yeah, I just, that you know, that's the idea is that I, I never really limited myself. I, I just knew that I wanted to do the thing. You know, I wanted to... Uh, play all kinds of music live and I wanted to get in that studio and do that thing whatever that was so I was always kind of preparing myself for everything that I do now you know on a given day you could be in the studio or you could be playing some some festival somewhere and they both make me equally happy one is fleeting because it's it, it you know you're taking the music to the people but then it goes away but at the same time it's being captured by everybody and loaded up to YouTube. And then the um, the recording thing is great because, I mean, I was just at the UPS store and I was talking to the owner and he's like, how's my favorite drummer? And, and then a song that I played on came on the radio and I was like, I was like, oh my God. And so like always soccer moms are always impressed with that at the grocery store or whatever, you know. Uh, all right. So album number two is yep. Foreigner. The titular track, um, or the t- tit- named after the band, whatever. <laughs> the <laughs> album is Foreigner. The artist is Foreigner. I'm a drummer. Released here is 1977. The key tracks, you said, are Feels Like the First Time and Double Vision. And a drummer that I don't think has had any love on this show, Dennis Elliott. So yeah. take it away. Yeah, I mean, I was just, you know, that's the album rock. Uh, you know, my aunts and uncles always had this record hanging around. So I would drop the needle and I would just listen to the stuff. And I just, I don't know, I was drawn to it. And then as you educate yourself and you start playing in more bands and becoming a better drummer, you I just kept revisiting and going like, why is this band so popular? Why do they have so many hits? I think they're celebrating their 50-year anniversary. And I've seen them with um, Dennis Carmasi. I've seen them with Brian Tishy. I've seen them with Mark Shulman. Um, 
even when there was like an opening in the band, you know, Mark Shulman threw my name in there. So it's crazy. It's like eventually you can listen to things, you know, you can listen to things as a young man and never realize you're grooming yourself for your future. I mean, just so just the way I mean, Dennis was just really musical the flappy 70s snare drum, but still had some crack to it. And I, I stole out of the fills, you know, your flash, boom, plop, boom, plop, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just being willing to stay out of the way of the vocal, but, you know, just being super muscular, solid, musical all at the same time. with a flam on beat four and the way the part is kind of constructed jing jong jing Respecting the quarter, you know. Totally. And you could just feel that pulse. Yeah, man. I saw um, Lou Graham's solo act at the Canyon Club out there in Agora Hills. Oh yeah. And Steve Gadd's son was the front of house engineer. And so I look behind me at the booth next to me, and Gadd is hanging out with his wife Carol. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's and he's like, my son's running front of house for Lou Graham. I mean, what a small world, you know? But, you know, that that's just respecting the quarter note, creating a, a very memorable part that stays out of the way, very muscular, very musical, resisting the urge to do um, fills every four measures. And his fills are all very hummable and singable. You know, jiggity-boom-boom, jiggity-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom. You know, you get that to a high school kid, you show him how to read it, you show him how to sing it, you show him how to count it. Then he could take that and just do a million variations, which I, you know, did because that fill is very reminiscent of a lot of the fills that uh, Carmine Apice did on Rod Stewart's Hot Legs. You know, I love you, honey. You know, it's like so we're just recycling all the same stuff, you know, but it's okay as long as you serve it up with attitude and a big smile. No one's ever going to go like, hey, man, you stole that from Carmine. On No, it's never going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, according to legend, uh, John Bonham stole a lot of stuff from Carmine, and no one's mad about that, so. (laughs) Hey, y'all. I wanted to... (laughs) I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. 
And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, so number three, the album is The Power Station. The artist is The Power Station. Released here is 1985. The drummer's Tony Thompson, who again, I know I know you were saying, ah, I, I, I might not be picking all these, but a lot of these drummers that you're mentioning, Dennis, Tony, are not getting a lot of love on this show. So I'm happy you brought these up. So, uh, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Man. And so the key tracks, Bang a Gong, which everyone knows, I would assume, and Some Like It Hot. But yeah, so take it away and then we'll listen to... Uh, some power station. Yeah, man. Tony Thompson, well, he was just a, he just had a fierce energy and this muscular power, and he kind of played the funk, you know, with Chic. So, you know, like We Are Family and um, all that stuff he played on in the early days. So he had that pocket and, and that respect for where to put the backbeat and being able to lock in patterns. But he was, I think, it, like a more of a rock drummer in the sense that he was always slapping rim shots, and he had that kind of like reckless rock attitude. And this was a super band that really just kind of let him shine. And every day I'd come home after school and I had my Yam a cherry red Yamaha stage custom. This was like a cheap, you know, Philippine mahogany kit, but sounded amazing. 24, 13, 16, 18. And I would drop the needle or play along with the uh, with the radio. And I was just getting my vocabulary together. And he did really cool fills like So three in the hands, one in the foot. To this day, there's not a recording session that I go to that I don't drop that thing somewhere. You know, it's just always going to work. Is it three in the hands on one surface? Is it three in the hands on two surfaces? Is my going to break it? And then, and then that same motion, you put four in the hands, two in the feet, shake it, blah. You know, sometimes you can get away with that. But I stole all this from Tony, and then of course I'd, I'd watch him at um, Amnesty International and Live Aid, and then Zeppelin did that kind of reformation, and like, who are we going to get to play drums? And it's like, mm -hmm. let's get Tony Thompson. And the things he did on the hi hat, he'd make that thing bark like, Psst. you know, instead of just being sloppy and just like doing the metal thing and letting him kiss like French Kiss forever, he he just really <laughs> had that that barking, and he would do this barking thing on verses, which were really different. Usually you would save a color like that 
for a chorus or a bridge or a guitar solo to make that section explode. But he's like, nah, if we start there and that's the verse, what the heck are we going to do? We're going to have to go tang the hump or we're going to have to ride a China. Or we're going to have to go to 16th <laughs> on the hi-hat. Did you say tang the hump? I love that. So there is a famous musician in Nashville. His name is Joel Sonier. And he was like this Cajun country artist. And his, his, his gig is kind of like a rite of passage. And he, his thing about going to the bell was like, tang the hump. You tang the hump, you know, and I was like, oh, tang the hump. So now everybody in Nashville knows tang the hump, even though not a lot of people are tanging the hump. You know, we <laughs> wore it out in the 70s, 80s and 90s that no one wants to touch it. But if you get if 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 it gets to happen, I love it because it's just the color that just makes the drum set explode. But this guy was just awesome. Great showman. Tons of energy, amazing pocket. And and much like Bonham, that drum sound really propelled him and his essence and his his notoriety to the masses because when you have a gigantic drum sound like that it's just gonna help things man they're gonna like who's that drummer let's get him because then after that he got to play on uh bowie's let's dance and madonna's like a virgin and robert palmer's addicted to love again robert palmer it's like a hook it's a melody and it's all about that hi-hat man this guy could go play a gig with just kick snare hat which i challenge everybody to do because it really does help with the um ease of the load ins and load outs and it will <laughs> just retrain your brain to be like i don't need maybe i need a floor tom you yeah. know for a debouge <laughs> or to put my keys on or my cell phone or, you know yeah yeah um well let's just go to some like it hot I've never heard this version. This is amazing. You know, the radio edits, you got to get in, get in faster, you know, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is a tough groove, man. Very masculine. Shot, shot. I stole that. We want to multiply. Are you going to do it? That's why you need that floor tom. I mean, he's just taking care of business, man. I don't know what they did live there. Maybe they had a percussionist for the yeah. Or maybe there was some sort of early version of backing tracks back then, you know? I'm sure. So cool. Yeah, I think if you got Nile Rogers, you know, kind of mentoring you and breathing down your neck, you're just going to be, end up an amazing musician, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell a lot of drummers ripped off that kind of style, and that's what you said from '85. So wow. 
boom, boom, plop. I mean, dude, I just took that, stuck it right in my back pocket. Absolutely. All right. So uh, the album is Outlandos de Amor. The artist is The Police. It came out a little bit before the last record. So this is 1978. And so many great tracks, but you listed a few. If people don't know the record, So Lonely, Born in the 50s. Born in the 50s is an underrated song. I love that song. Yeah. But yeah, take it away. Well, yeah, man. The Police, again, an MTV band with synchronicity and all that, Zenyatta Mandata. But, I, you know, I feel like a lot of your, I mean, the least of the, the episodes I listened to, Chris Myers, it, he had driven driven to tears, and Elon Rubin had di- driven to tears, and I was about to have driven to tears. And I was like, <laughs> we can't have three people. But that is kind of like a Holy Grail track for because for, it's so active and it's so busy and it's just there's so much energy. Yeah. Um, these early records, you know, Copeland's style was that mix of here's a here's a young lad that's got a is in a punk band, but then he was a military brat, so he traveled so much and he had the influence of all these multicultural reggae and and South African music and European classical and you mix it all up and, and this stuff kind of like of course he's in a he's in a band where that stuff can manifest, but the big styles would be the pop punk rock and the reggae influence and just that all this music was coming from three guys unbelievable and these early records they just had a rougher edge and the drum sound was more that typical let's tape up the toms and the the snare drum was fat and then as they got he got more stylized it was like everybody just thinks of Stuart Copeland and everybody bought a a piccolo to try to recreate that sound, even though he never played a piccolo, he played a five and a half that was cranked up, I believe. So I just think it's magical. Um, a lot of that cross stuff, you know, all those little phrases. And man, that gets into your DNA. I was on vacation one time and there was a band that was doing a lot of police stuff. And I asked if I can come up and play Message in a Bottle. And it was mm. just like, they were looking back at me like, you know you're Stuart Copeland. I was like, yeah, man, because I would get up in the morning out of paper out, and uh, I would have to get up at like 4.45 in the morning before the sun came up, and you're rolling these papers, and it's like I would just crank the police in the garage, and just by proxy, it would get in my DNA. And then every day I would watch this um, police concert. I think it was like live at the Omni or something. It's from – it's everybody has – all your guests have talked about this one. It was like a VHS. It's blue. Hey, yeah, they had of this. Yeah. It was like pre-synchronous. No, it was the synchronicity tour. And there was a two or three background singer girls that were dressed in marching band outfits. Unbelievable. Studied it, listened to it, vibed on it every day. Um, the fact that I was able to work on my cross stick and get that so consistently um, really helped, like, say, when I moved to Nashville. And sometimes you just have to play, mm, mm, mm. And you got to nail that cross stick <laughs> yeah. every time. I was like, piece of cake, man. I can play reggae. And another huge influence was this. And this guy's a friend now, David Usikinen. And he was the drummer from the Hooters. They're just celebrated 40 years. You should have him on the show. Sure. Um, they're on tour in the States coming up with um, Rick Springfield and all those 80s bands. And right now they're on tour in Europe where, you know, you can go to Europe and just play the rest of your life. If you have one or two songs, like unbelievable. But they had a song called All You Zombies. And the part was like. So to get that and just totally consistent at the right velocity every time was something I practiced. And so then by the time I got to Nashville, I was like, all right, cross stick on two and four. No problem. on four. 
hump? Oh, yeah, he's tanging that hump. not afraid to lock down a pattern. Yeah. That little stutter there. I stole that. We were the class they couldn't teach. And that fill, you know, the one. I mean, it's one of the most popular syncopations and popular music. Yep. So he was showing us how to uh, set it up, play around it. So good. All right, so number, well, technically number five and six. You had a... <laughs> Two records. <laughs> it's the Big Fat Six. So it's art, the artist is John Cougar Mellencamp, yeah. and the albums are Scarecrow that came out in '85, and then the Lonesome Jubilee that came out two years later in '87. And I unfortunately Kenny's not talked about. Kenny Aronoff, who is a legend, how was he not talked about? I just don't know. I I think maybe sometimes people. They want to say certain drummers, but they assume that everyone talks about them. So then they think of some obscure guy that no one's told yeah. or girl. So, but hey, Kenny, we love you. He's a massive, massive influence on a lot of people, whether you would know it or not. So, yeah, uh, a few key tracks, Small Town, Lonely Old Night from the 85 record Scarecrow. And then Lonesome Jubilee has Check It Out and Hard Times for an Honest Man. But yeah, take it away and then we'll listen to a track from each record. Yeah, man. Well, you know, people say, what are your Desert Island records? These are two Desert Island records. And I've heard other people say that because this was this a magical snapshot in time where, you know, John was owning his identities like for, to heck with Johnny Cougar. I'm changing my name to jo John Mellencamp. That's the name that my God given name. And so he just started to own his artistry. And just the way he could tell these the, these tales of the common man, you know, the things that are happening in the heartland between New York and L.A., which is much of America, and but wrapping it up with this huge, like, sonic beauty, such, you know, just huge-sounding drums, and the way they did things like combine colors like a hammered dulcimer or a harpsichord or accordion with a fiddle, you know, kind of like to create a new color – in the music, and this was very uh, ahead of the time to kind of signal what might happen in Nashville in the 90s, where it's like the drums started getting, like Paul Lyme moved to town, and then all of a sudden these the drums started getting hot in the mix, and they started cranking the fiddle along with the, the piccolo snare drum, but these guys did it 10 years earlier, and they were just owning it, they were headlining arenas, they didn't have any opening acts, three-hour show, Kenny's back there playing like an animal, um, but so musical, staying out of the way, you know, a lot of these songs are three chord songs. And so it was Kenny's job to try to come up with what he would say, like a different beat, you know, for all of, you know, John's music. And he just did such a great job. And then the way another takeaway is the way that he combined percussion. So I really started getting into percussion because this stuff was so hot in the mix. So we're talking like two rhythm tech tambourines that are rattled together and you get the, you know, you get the impact sound of the two rhythm techs like throwing claves into a track, maracas, 
super loud shaker sounds, congas and bongos, but not like cranked up like a Latin congero, like tuned down with like duct tape on them. And they kind of sit in the mix really nice. So the way he incorporated the percussion, I was like, I would practice along with that stuff. And what did that do? That helped me later on in life where I would, I'm just hired to be a percussionist to bring other drummers tracks to life. And sadly, it's happening less because there's so much in the box MIDI wave files ready to go. But anyways, don't be a stranger to the percussion thing, kids, you know, like at least own some of these basic percussion instruments and then be willing to like layer your cake, you know, and that's what I got from Kenny and just, uh, you know, the cracked snare drum and then just loving the drum sound and, and hoping that someday I would be in a band where I can have a drum sound like that, you know? All right, well, here's, here's Lonely Old Night from uh, Scarecrow. book all rim shots so just like if you have to hit a rim shot you're never going to miss it but i got that from kenny man yeah a friend of the podcast zach lind who's the drummer for jimmy Eat world yeah. brought on brought on one of his songs i think it's got it's I think it's the song gotta be somebody's blues and it's this super slow wide open snare sound super deep one of my favorite snare sounds of all time and he said that was actually a limited edition Tama put out of their version of the of the Black Beauty, and it's a Kenny Aronoff signature. Shout out to Kenny, but it's oh, man. my I'm favorite snare to, sound of all it. time. Yeah, I gotta do it, man. You know, because because uh, you know I, I own a million Black Beauties. You know that that you know it's just because you got to have a lot of them in different places. Yep. But I have never treated myself to that one, and it's I'm sure it has a there's a different bent on it because. Well, it ha- they had to probably get around some things, you know, yes, like legally, you know, it has, I hear that it's just a great recording snare drum. It's got nice engraving on it and everything. And, uh, it looks beautiful as well. So let's go to the second record you talked about. So I, I mistakenly said John Cougar Mellencamp. So at this point in his career, he preferred to be just John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp. Yeah. All right. So let's go to, so here's check it out. Oh, 
served up with such an attitude. Hi-hat tightens up on the second verse. He knows how to stay out of the way, use the colors on the kick. Jeez, guys, douche. That'll never get you fired, man. It just fills in perfectly. Well, that is your big fat, technically your big fat six. Yeah. So uh, this is the time, and I know I know you're good at this, but this is self, self-promotion time. So <laughs> You know, some people call me a promosexual. What are you going to do? I guess you just have to own it. Oh, sorry. You could pay your mortgage now. You know, it's like my bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I I know you have a book out, the making it in country music and insiders look at the uh, at the industry. Um, you have multiple yeah. books, but yeah, take it away, and then uh, I'll let you get back to your busy day, man. Oh man, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, the book is out, making it in country music and insiders look at the industry. It's published by Roman and Littlefield. So this is my third book and my first hardcover, which is you know it's like you got to celebrate that because you know the publishers really got to love you and be on board to put it out as a um, as a as a hardback. But it's kind of was a little bit of a labor of love. I'm not an expert or anything, but I've been in Nashville 25 years, so I've seen some things come and go. And if I wanted to just drop my ideas down and if it helps save somebody five years on their journey even five minutes on their journey then you know my work is done um but you know just richredmond.com r-e-d-m-o-n-d is a great hub for um all things getting ready to go on tour gotta earn my salary this year we've been just kind of kicking around for seven months um but now we've got four months where every thursday through sunday I will be at some sort of an amphitheater or a Normo Dome, and we're going to be bringing music to the people. So check JasonAldean.com. Come say hello. A lot of times during the days, I'm doing master classes and clinics. So I know I'm doing one at Denver Percussion. I know I'm doing one at Gilderland Academy. I'm probably going to see you at the Nash, the Music City Drum Show on July 30th. Are you coming? Unfortunately, I have a gig that day, and Chris just had a baby, so oh, wow. we had. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, so unfortunately, we had to make the decision to not be a part of it this year, but I'll okay. see you soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you guys are always so supportive, and big shout out to the, you know, the, you know, the whole team. And you know, I met Chris years ago, and he was just always like, you know, so supportive. And I just saw that something in that product was going to be very lasting. That's the hardest thing to do in the music industry is the music product accessory lane and to be able to make it stick like that not only make it stick and stay in business for over five years but you guys are literally now required gear like it's part of being a modern drummer is having a selection of big fast snare drum devices 
Oh, so, well, thank you. We'll send so your problem. check in the mail. <laughs> that's yeah, a good so promo that's, for that's, it. It's a really cool thing, man. And um, I don't know if most drummers are, are all your audience is going to be into this, but I have done so many different kind of educational offerings over the year. And my latest one, and it's just I've done 12 of these this year, is that guys fly into Nashville. We do a seven-hour day together over at Drum Paradise. And we do three hours in the morning, go have a nice lunch and have three hours in the afternoon. They send their wives shopping to Green Hills. And I just try to like dig deep into my curriculum. So we work on things that a lot of people, you'd be surprised. A lot of guys just, they don't know rudiments. They don't know how to read music. They can't make a chart. They don't know how to tune their drums. They mm. only play one style of music. So I kind of try to dive deep within that seven hours and look at all the deficiencies and try to level that thing out. And like for sure, by the end of that seven hours, I get everybody reading page 37 of the syncopation book, dot, 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 dot. And so it's been a lot of fun. So um, anybody that wants to come, I'm a sitting duck on the internet or you just send me a message on uh, richredman.com. <laughs> All right, so this week's little skinny one, a.k.a. listener pick, is from Stefano Ashbridge. He says, hey, Ben, my name is Stefano Ashbridge. I'm a drummer and drum instructor in the Los Angeles area. I've been playing drums for a little over 30 years, and you can find me at drumlessonsinla.com. His pick was the album Water by the artist Saigon Kick. The release here is 1993. The drummer is Phil Verone from the research I have done that's how you pronounce his last name but veroni but verone and the key track that stefano wants to point out is on and on and about this track stefano says i think what phil plays in the verses is a fresh and inventive way to support the song it's not your typical rock beat and there's this syncopated snare roll with cymbal accents so thanks again for filling out the form stefano and here is on and on by saigon kick the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. 
Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.